This is Amanda Hahn. And I'm Josh Waltman. You're listening to the Librarian Lunch Break Podcast. With bite-sized episodes for academic library professionals hungry for what's next. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Josh. I'm here with my colleague, Amanda. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Librarian Lunch Break. And today we have a very, very special guest. I'm very excited about our guest today, Carrie Cooper, who is the Dean of University Libraries at William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. She also happens to be one of my former professors from my library grad program at the University of Kentucky. So go Wildcats. Uh, It's fantastic (laughs) that uh, we can represent, and I'm really excited to have her with us. Dean Cooper, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really um, honored to be here. And you may not know this, but I am also a UK graduate, so I feel connected to you already, even though you were not there when I was a student. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. It's so nice to meet you, Amanda. Well, great. Uh, thank you so much for taking time. And I know um, we're, we're, we are recording this during the summer. I'm not sure when our listeners will be hearing this, um, but we were just talking a minute ago about how the work for librarians kind of changes over the summer. And we know that you're very busy with projects and everything you've got going on there in Williamsburg. But the first question that I have for you is, tell us a little bit about the libraries at William & Mary and your role there. Sure, I am. Um, I am at the Earl Greg Swem Library, and um, this library was named for a librarian at William and Mary who started at the institution in 1920 and was with us through 1944 in that role. And he was kind of a groundbreaker. I mean, he just really believed in opening up the stacks and letting patrons get in there and browse, which was not always a given um, at a university library. And he also believed in teaching students how to research. So he was kind of um, groundbreaking in that he really understood there was a a skill to finding information and he wanted to make sure that the librarians were teaching those skills to the students at William & Mary. So um, it's fun to work in a library that's named for a librarian. (laughs) And um, so um, at William & Mary, the students are in love with the library. It is like the happen in place. So we do not really have a traditional student center per se. So um, a lot of socializing and academic community is found within the SWEM library. In fact, we have a term called swimming. The students go swimming. That means they're hanging out at the library. So um, <laughs> it's good. a pleasure That's and awesome. an honor. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's a pleasure and an honor to work at a library where um, students have um, have have really um, been been coming to the library in, in high numbers. Our, our you know we have over a million visits a year for a student body of eighty five hundred. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. And, and what do you if you maybe could put uh, a finger on it? I don't know if you can or not, but what do you attribute that? Um, buy-in from from students too. I mean, what what do you think the reason is that that students have um, you know they're spending time in the library? Not just you mentioned not just academic for academic purposes, but also for social reasons. Um, what do you what do you think the reason for that is? Well, um, William and Mary students are are high achieving students. They um, want to do well in their courses. And I think they realize that when they come to the library, they're going to be in in an environment that is um, 
inspiring, um, that is useful to the work that they have, that is um, that has really helpful people nearby. And so I also think they're going to find their their student, their, their fellow students. And so I think they like, I think if there's something about working and being productive near other people who are working and being productive. So I think they come here and they, they get their work done and they, when they're, you know, when they want to stand up from the table and go get a coffee, they know that they're going to find those creature comforts here. Or when they want to stand up and go find somebody at a desk to ask a question or even just chat online with somebody in the building, um, they can do all those things. So it's just a combination of, of really great space that we keep making sure we've got the right things here in the building and really good people who work here that help our students. And then of course there's the collections that, that are that are really exceptional exceptional too. Yeah, that's great. And so you're the dean there. And and so um, are you the person that's generally responsible for hiring faculty faculty? I I am. I um we have a we have a category um, for librarians called it's a professional faculty category on our campus and a lot of the um, um, student affairs master's degree level positions are in the PPF category as are the librarians in the professional faculty category and so all of um, all of the librarians that work in SWEM library are hired you know I, I do get to um, I am involved in all of those interviews. And so we do have a few libraries on campus that don't report up organizationally through the Dean of University Library. Um, the, the law school, for instance, um, um, the business school. So um, sometimes I'm involved in those interviews and sometimes not, but they're all part of the library community, which we call the William and Mary Libraries community. And we all work to support each other. Um, we're all using the same online catalog. The patrons are going to that catalog, and you know nobody makes those distinctions when when they're using your collections about um, who who reports where. But yes, I probably I do the most hiring on campus of our library faculty. So we're we're expecting that quite a few of our listeners are going to be early career librarians or possibly finishing up a, a you know a grad program and going to be looking to get into the profession. Um, I'm just curious. You know, do you generally have folks that are applying that are early career uh, librarians or maybe just right out of their grad program? And if so, in your perspective, what's a way maybe they could stand out from the from the rest of the crowd? Well, we do have a lot of early career and brand spanking new librarians that are right out of grad school or getting ready to be out of grad school mm -hmm. that apply for positions at William & Mary. Um, I think what makes all candidates stand out. Any candidate to me that writes a fantastic cover letter stands right. out. So the first thing I like to do is is read that cover letter and what can I tell about a person in terms of their sense of humor, um, their experience, the contributions that they've made elsewhere that they could make here. Um, and of course, you know, the other thing though is there are required qualifications and. I don't usually read a cover letter if they don't meet the minimum qualifications. So it just depends on the position that we're looking for. Like currently, we're, we're, we're searching for a new university archivist. And I believe they're in the requirements is that you have to have some experience managing people. You already have to have a degree in either archives or library science. Um, so as long as somebody's meeting the minimum qualifications, and that's very important 
um, then I'm I'm looking at that cover letter and I'm and I'm trying to, to figure out um, what it is about that person that makes me want to to learn more. And honestly, I don't look at all of the cover letters. We have search committees, and most library, most big libraries anyway, will have search committees. And the dean or the director may not be looking at every applicant. They'll look at the ones that the search committee has forwarded to the dean um, after an extensive review of everybody who's applied. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. We had uh, someone else that we had interviewed, and they had said that they had put in 83 applications before getting an offer. Yeah, a lot I, of I mean, applications. It's, it can really be discouraging, I would think, for someone that's trying wow. to get in, get their foot in the door and not knowing quite what the formula is for getting okay. looked at. And so that's really helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Do you find at all um, that the climate, as far as job seeking in Virginia, is a little bit different just in that there is no... ALA accredited program in the state. So is that different from maybe applicants that you saw when you were in Kentucky? Or are you kind of getting applicants from across the board, from across state lines? You know, that's a really good question. I, we get so many applicants for our positions, and I don't know if it's because William & Mary is has a good reputation, um, or, um, you know, we've been along, around a long time, um, and Virginia is, is, a, um, is a desirable place to be, right? So it's near, you know, it's on the East Coast, it's not far from the beach. Um, I think all of those factors ha- are positive in the, you know, people want to be in Virginia on the East Coast, I think. I think I saw... Which and so I think it does. It hasn't. It hasn't impacted the library school not being in Virginia has not really impacted um, the quality of the applicants that I'm seeing at William and Mary. I will tell you when I was the dean of libraries at Eastern Kentucky University, I did see a lot of the University of Kentucky graduates in our pools because they were so that nearby. Sense, and a lot yeah. of a lot of people are place bound, and so. You know, I always could count on having those UK graduates being in our pools, um, and and um, I think you're going to see a, a little more diversity in terms of where people are coming from at, in William and Mary's pool, maybe because they're coming from all over, and because people are taking online, they're they're taking online courses, and and just because they're um, a graduate from the University of Kentucky doesn't mean they don't live in Virginia because they're part of that online program. Right. I mean, that was true for both Josh and myself. So So you're the dean of the libraries now, um, but we've mentioned this, but you were previously at Eastern Kentucky University. And if you can go back even a little bit farther for us and just tell us what got you into librarianship at all, kind of how did you get to where you are today? Well, it's an interesting story. I started out as a fourth grade teacher, and I taught fourth and fifth grade in Florida. And I loved reading aloud to my students. And I could see through the act of reading aloud and doing book talks and really getting excited about reading that that was contagious. And I did that. I did a lot of um, I did a lot of partnering with the school librarian, and so. I was thinking about how I was going to spend the summer after like my third year of teaching, and I was going to wait tables and work at a clothing, you know, work work in retail. And I thought, you know, I should go get a master's degree. And I looked at, I had a, a, a 
teacher next door to me who said, hey, I'm going to Southern Mississippi this summer, and they have a graduate program for education. And lots of teachers go, and you can get a master's in special education, and you could be a principal and get an administ- you know, be an administrator or a reading specialist. And I looked at, at their list of programs, and they had a library science program. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to move to the school library one day. I want to teach, and then I want to be a school librarian. So I started the program. And coming out of that program, I was a high school librarian. And then about a year into that program, I, I started thinking, well, after I got to the program, I realized that I had lots of options available to me. I could be an academic librarian or a public librarian. And I was so naive going into the library science program. I, didn't, I hadn't done my homework. I didn't realize what the degree was going to allow me to do. But once I got there and I was sitting in class with people who I really admired, came to admire, and there were just so many interesting people with all kinds of backgrounds. I thought, I really felt like I had found a place that I didn't really realize I was looking for, and um, and I quickly started to think about, am I going to really be a school librarian, or am I going to do something um, different? And, and I didn't really have to decide at that point. So. I got recruited by Eastern Kentucky University. I had a professor at I had a professor by the name of um, Kay Bishop at the University of Southern Mississippi who had taken a job at, univers- at the University of Kentucky's Library Science Program, and she reached out to me and said, "EKU is hiring a librarian. They want an academic librarian that can work with pre-service teachers in their curriculum resource center, and you should apply." And I did, and so. I started at Eastern Kentucky University in the Learning Resources Center, and then from there I became the coordinator of research instruction, and from that position I was invited to be the interim dean of, of, of libraries at EKU, and then I entered the national search and became the dean. So I was at EKU for 13 years, and then I was recruited to come to William & Mary. That's great. I think it's so interesting to hear from people that have a background in education, because mm-hmm. I do not, and I ended up in a research and instruction department Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the library. Um, And looking back, I really wish I had some of that education knowledge and I've done professional development since then and taken some classes as far as learning theory and instruction methods and things like that that have been really helpful. But I imagine that was kind of a key part in you getting to move into the academic position at EKU is having that education background. Absolutely. Um, I think they wanted somebody who had been in a K-12 school, who had, um, who who could understand students going through the College of Education. And I had experience, and I thought I found um, I was really excited to model how school librarians and teachers should be working because I loved that part of my job as a, as, as an elementary school teacher. And what I quickly realized is that was hard to model because faculty in a university setting aren't always real, ready and willing to collaborate with librarians. And so, um, but when I finally would win over a faculty member and they could see the contributions that I could bring to the course, um, it, it became a really satisfying part of my work as an academic librarian. Um, so I do think the background in teaching and the experience in teaching made me a better, you know, better positioned to 
to engage with faculty. I could talk from experience. Um, and I really do, did enjoy thinking about the lesson plan. You know, I didn't want to just see, I didn't just want to see the class the first two weeks of, of, of the course. Um, I wanted to see them like three weeks before the assignment was due, and I wanted to talk about learning objectives. And I wanted to maybe see them two times or three times. Um, so um, it was really, it was, it, was, it was very different working with college students and, and faculty than it was working in a high school or an elementary setting, but I, I enjoyed the challenge. Yeah, so maybe following up on that question a little bit, if you could, if you could, you know, talk to your younger self as you were just getting into academic libraries from from the other side of things, um, would you have any advice, you know, that that you would give to yourself or something that you wish you had known then that you know now? Well, I often reflect on my college experience at Florida State University. I was very involved as a campus leader and I was in a sorority and I was an orientation leader and there was a time in my life when I thought I would be a student affair, I would go into student affairs and higher education. And then I thought, no, I, I really do need to practice teaching, that's what I, so I, I you know, I decided to teach. I wish I, I didn't realize that that leadership experience as an undergraduate would really um, set me up for to be a leader in my job or in my work, you know, in my work, in my professional life. And so I didn't even think, well, you can be a teacher or you can be a librarian and you can go back to being a leader in higher ed through a different, through a different path. And so I always say, you know, I loved college, and so I got, I, I really came back to college as a li as an academic librarian. And then, even when I took my first academic library job, I don't think I fully realized that I was on the path to be a library director or a dean. But leadership skills and the ability to um, to connect with people is such an important part of, of being successful, whether you're a dean or a department head or even just a good colleague in, in, in a library. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And it's almost like, to a certain degree, you can prepare for a lot of things in the profession, but being a good leader is something that you can pre prepare for to a degree, but it's a different type of preparation, it seems. Mm -hmm. A lot of self-reflection, mm -hmm. a lot of intentional um, reading and, and talking and finding mentors. Um, it's, it's a skill and an art, and it's, it's something that I've never taken for granted and I always am working on. That's good. I think it's encouraging, too, to think about how we can kind of practice that in small ways that you don't just suddenly become the dean or the director and suddenly you are a leader, but really whatever position you're in as you're seeking that out, you can look for those small opportunities to practice leadership and demonstrate leadership and grow in that in or out of a library setting. I love everything you just said. <laughs> yes, you have to. You can lead. I mean, we talk about leading from anywhere in the organization. And I, I stepped in at Eastern Kentucky University. I was in my, you know, I was in my late 20s. Um, I, you know, I just, I just decided this is something that I care about. And I started leading from, from my little place, you know, and, 
and that grew in that those moments turned into bigger opportunities. Um, so yes, you should find out what excites you and, and find out how you can contribute and you should find a way to practice leadership and practice listening and, and, um, and learning from people around you and, and getting people to want to, you know, getting people to want to follow is, um, takes practice. Absolutely. It, it's a whole other element when you add in those interpersonal relationships mm, and the soft skills, the soft skills. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you can find a place to work that really emphasizes the soft skills, um, I think it's a happier. I think it's a happier workplace. So, if you were to look ahead a little bit, um, based upon what you've seen and different trends that you've kind of seen over the past few years, what do you think is coming next? Where do you see kind of the direction of library research or just academic libraries in practice? Um, well, you know, I, I think a lot about the evolution of our services in the library and the evolution of our space. So, you know, we're always thinking about how do we refresh the space and make it a place where students want to spend time. And it's not just about having comfortable furniture, it's about having the right mix of people and the right mix of services. And so those things are all connected. And I think in um, looking back, we've, we've been thinking about, um, I've been thinking a lot about this for other reasons too, but and so I feel like I'm, I'm repeating this a lot, but it really resonates with me lately, is we try to teach people to be good information consumers, but I really feel like we're shifting to um, libraries in support of being information producers. So it's really about supporting students who want to create and make and write for um, a broader audience. You know, we're talking more about who do you want to read the research or the article that you're writing? Do you want it to be behind a paywall? You know, do you want it to be read by people outside of the higher, higher education? Because, you know, most of what we do in higher ed is we write for a higher ed audience or a student or, or a college audience because we're the ones that have the you know, the subscriptions. So you really have to think about the impact you want to have and who you want to read what you write. And so I think it's fun to talk to not just faculty about these issues, but our students, because it really makes them think about um, what they want to contribute and what what kinds of things they want to to create for the world, right? So um, I really think that there's a real um, opportunity for libraries to support that kind of work which means you're going to need libraries that have different skills like GIS skills and digital humanities skills and um, you know how to work with big data sets and where to find data if you want to if you you know how do you how do you text mine um, our library resources or subscriptions these are things that we haven't been asked by our patrons to do in the past that we're going to be asked to do in the future so it's a whole new it's a whole new ball game in terms of what what people should be practicing and what experiences they should be seeking out in graduate school and in even as practicing librarians. Yeah, it's a good point about the shift to thinking of the, the customer or patron as producer. That's, that's really well put. Um, and, and also that, you know, library as space plays in that to a degree. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have any examples of, of how maybe, you know, just 
how that could play out, you know, in, in terms of thinking about space in the library, uh, where we can tailor a space um, with that in mind? Well, one of, one, of, one of the challenges is a lot of times libraries have some of the biggest places on campus, and we don't always have the most staff. And so what I have found is that it's really useful to figure out who else on campus has a problem that needs to be solved and bring them in to be partners in terms of space planning. So currently, there is a, a huge trend for digital scholarship centers on, in libraries. And how do we, and this goes back to that producers, how do we support students who are producing content, producing digital scholarship, producing traditional scholarship, but with digital tools in mind, and maybe they can um, even get further if, if they understand what digital tools are available to them. Um, so right now we're talking, we're bringing in the faculty and the data science classes. Um, we're bringing in new digital humanists that are being hired, and we're saying, tell us what's most frustrating about, about teaching students in your field, and what is it that's lacking at, on this campus, and let us figure out together how we can create a new space in the library that can create a community that feels good to all of you. So we're just not big enough at William & Mary to have a um, digital humanities lab in this corner of the library mm -hmm. and a GIS space in that corner of the library, and then, you know, and, and then what happens is then we have to figure out how do I how do I support, with my limited staff, all of these things going on in different areas? So we've decided to pull all those things together. And you know, I'm looking at maybe I do want to hire a GIS librarian in the future, and I do want to hire some some people who have digital humanities experts. And it might not be a librarian; it might be somebody mm. who comes from a, you know, um, a social science background or. Um, you know, a science background that just has practiced di digital scholarship and is a really good project manager and has some technical skills. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I think it's really important for librarians and, and um, to really think about who their campus partners are and plan those spaces with others so that they feel really a part of the plan and they are ready. Like, you've got to get people excited about what's to come. and. You want, you want people lined up and ready to use the space the day the space opens, and that means getting everybody on the same page, which, which can be challenging. So sw switching gears a little bit, because we talked about uh, production of, of scholarship or production of things from, from folks in the library, patrons and customers and so forth. Um, what about from a librarian standpoint? How can a new librarian get their feet wet with producing library scholarship. We, let's say you've got someone out there who's just eager to get out there and contribute to the profession in that way. What do you think is the best way to do that? Well, I think, I think the first thing to do is figure out what you want to talk about and what, you're, what, you're, what is it that you've done that you're passionate about that others will want to hear about, right? So you first have to figure out what it is you want to say, and you have to look around you and find, and find you know, who's working with you on this project and who would be a good collaborator. You know, I think it's so much easier to do these things with others. So I, can, I think back to my first presentation or my first article, I always did it with somebody. So um, I, I think also mentors, um, maybe there's somebody in your building who is really, you know, pretty regularly contributing um, 
state conferences or national conferences, let them know, I'm interested in partnering with you. I'd like to be part of a project that ends up with a presentation or a poster session. And I wouldn't start with the scholarship. I would start with what it is I what it is I am excited about, what it is I want to do, and then figure out, then do it, and then figure out who you want to tell the story with. Yeah, that's great advice. That's really great advice. So um, partnering up, finding other people that you can work with to get your feet wet, and then also finding the thing that you're passionate about and starting from there rather than necessarily thinking about, okay, where, where are the holes in scholarship and, and everything like that? That's, that's helpful. Yeah, because I really want to, when we're looking at bringing in librarians, I'm not necessarily looking for, you know, I love to see engagement in the, in the profession. So that could be attending a conference. Um, it could be presenting at a conference. So it is impressive when I have a, a, an early career librarian that's done some of those things. So I don't want to pretend that that's not impressive because it is. But it's, it's, it's equally impressive to, to hear them really speak about something that they've led or, um, or an initiative that they've cared about and they've carried at their organization or as a, as a student in graduate school, you know, maybe there was a class in graduate school that they just really enjoyed and, and because of that they have, you know, they have reached out to people to talk about an issue after the course ended and you've you know, maybe sought out some opportunities that let you explore that issue even after the class ended. So um, I think I'm looking for initiative and, um, and experience as much as I'm looking for scholarship. One thing I really liked that you said was that you mentioned it as, or you framed it as telling your story, of looking for someone that you would want to share with as you're telling the story of your research. And I think that's a great way of putting it is that you're really just sharing what you're excited about. So when you're researching something that you're into, your passion about that is really going to show mm-hmm. as you're telling it to others kind of from that narrative standpoint. And I think that's true too, even on a campus when you're trying to connect with campus administration and it's how do you tell the story of your library and what you're doing in a way that's meaningful to not just you, but to others that are less familiar with, with what you're doing. And maybe saying that differently to different audiences as the case right. may be. Yeah. Audiences change, and then sometimes the message has to just be reframed just a little bit. But but yes, people can tell what you care about, and, and so that's always a good thing to pay attention to, is what do people care about? So going along with kind of the professional development side of things, would you say that there are any particular organizations or conferences that you've been involved with that you found really beneficial that maybe you would recommend? This, um, you know, it always helps me to be around other people that do a job that I'm doing. So I was thinking back to my first academic library job as the Curriculum Materials Center director. It was called the Learning Resources Center at, at Eastern. I was the only person, there were, there were two librarians in that area and three staff members, but I was the only director of that area, and there was nobody else in the library who I, who I could really talk to about, you know, how do, I, how do I package something with 25 little game pieces, and, you know, how do I make sure that all, all, that, all that comes back, or, you know, how, anyway, I just... It really, I found value in meeting other people who were, who were in, this, in a similar position. So I went out and I invited 
all the curriculum material centers in the state of Kentucky to have to come to my work and let's spend the day together. And so we didn't have a we didn't have a professional organization, but I wanted to do I wanted to get people together. So I guess one of the things that that I thought about is sometimes the people that you need to talk to and that you need to spend time with, they're not you're not going to find them in a professional organization that already exists. You might just have to create your own network and bring people together and you can facilitate that by just an email or pick up the phone and call somebody. Um, but I, that has played out even as I've gotten into being the director. I, the, the, the organizations that mean the most to me are when I get to go be with other directors. So the Association of Southeast Research Libraries, ACERL, as it is referred to, is all of the Southeast University research libraries and universities. We get together twice a year, and I value that time with my colleagues who are doing similar work. And I learn so much from them every time we're together. Um, but if I had to say like a, a conference, a traditional conference, my go-to conference year after year has, has been Aladdin. Um, it is a it's academic library um, advancement conference. It's for people who raise money and um, tell stories about libraries. So it's for communications people and development people um, in academic libraries. And it's a mix of deans, directors of communication, directors of development, and there's usually about maybe 300 people, so it's a pretty small group, and it was just held in Louisville um, at the Brown Hotel this past spring, um, 2019. And I've loved it. It's been where I've learned to tell stories and how I've learned to engage alumni and donors in library work, and it's probably the reason I have my job at William & Mary. <laughs> That's a big endorsement. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's a really great conference. Um, so for people who are you know, doing that kind of work, so I, I like being in a conference where I have, you know, I, I have been, um, I have gone to the American Library Associations many, many times. I, you know, there's nothing more fun than spending the day in the vendor hall, and that that is great, but it's a little overwhelming in terms of finding there a professional connection and time to really sit and connect with somebody over a topic that's of, of interest. It's, it's harder in those big settings, I think, for me. So I really found comfort in, in some of the smaller, very focused conferences, I would say. I think even what you said about reaching out more locally to people in your area that might have similar job positions um, and networking that way. I think that's a great point because if you are looking for someone to kind of talk shop with, I think odds are other people are also seeking that same thing. Um, mm -hmm. Librarians love to get together and talk library stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're generally a pretty collaborative bunch as a profession. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's a great tip just to not be afraid to reach out and contact some people out of the blue and, and ask if they want to chat about some things or talk about yep. different yep. topics in your specific field. And the beauty and is you don't have to you're think. the head of the reference department, reach out to another head of the reference department and bring both of your teams together mm -hmm. to talk about what's happening. What are your challenges? What are What's going well? Um, so deans and directors, now that I'm at this level, we oh, I always have, I have lots of opportunities to get together with other with other directors. We even have a, you know, Viva, the Virtual Library of Virginia. I, I attend those meetings regularly. And again, it's very much like ACERL. Those are very um, 
those are, that's two days of my time that is, is very valuable to me. I really enjoy hearing what's happening at the other institutions in my state, and we have the same thing in Kentucky um, um, through SALK. So most states have those opportunities for directors, but what I don't think, it doesn't always trickle down to people in other positions. So sometimes you have to make those opportunities yourself. Well, Carrie, we so appreciate you taking the time today to speak with us, and we don't want to take up too much of your time, um, but do you have any kind of final thoughts that you'd like to share as we wrap up? Well, I just, it was really enjoyable to talk with both of you. Thank you, Josh and Amanda. I, I love that um, you're thinking about how to help and support librarians who are coming into the profession and, and gearing up for a job search. Um, I just, I hope people don't get discouraged. I know there's, there's, um, there are a lot of people out there looking. I just say, just, you know, just keep it up and, you know, don't, don't be, um, don't be deterred and, and, you know, even if you have to do some volunteering first um, or take a, um, a support staff position um, to get your foot in the door, you know, these are all good strategies. Even, I was even thinking, I recently hired an administrative assistant um, and I was even thinking, you know, maybe somebody with a library degree will want to come in and do the work of supporting me and see some see a different perspective. So there's lots of ways to get your foot in the door in a library and just leave those open to your, you know, I hope everybody's open-minded because I think that's, that's one way of, um, of finding that job. Those are great tips. And I think our listeners will really appreciate everything you've shared today, just kind of about how you got here and, and what your experience is looking out from the position of Dean of Libraries. So once again, thank you for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners who are tuning in today. We will be back soon with another episode of the Librarian Lunch Break podcast. So Josh, anything you wanted to say in closing? I don't think so, but Dean Cooper did not disappoint. We were so thankful to have her on and we look forward to bringing you the next episode. This is Josh and Amanda signing out. (laughs) 